0: Okay, we're recording to SoundCloud now, so I guess we're ready to go. Um, So the topic of this conversation is really about monetizing your content and your audience. In terms of an introduction, uh, my name is Joe, I'm the co-founder of SkimLinks. If you haven't heard of SkimLinks, we're a a platform to help publishers monetize their their content and, and audience around that. And I guess what's relevant to you guys is that we, we regularly talk to startups, publishers about how they can monetize, um, especially alternative forms of monetization, just beyond the big A word, advertising. So I'd love to get a quick, i uh, try and trying to keep this really interactive, um, does anyone want to volunteer what, what their business is or what they're interested in, I guess? Sure. Um, um, we are doing Toyville, It's a startup, educational startup for kids and parents. With a okay. vision to provide parents best tools to creatively educate their children. Okay, great. Thank you. Education. Do you have a revenue model yet? Yeah, we are have actually three streams. Um, we're working on an iPad app which will provide activities, games, and toys. Yeah. It's a mixture of physical and digital products. Okay. So. Therefore, it's it's besides you now selling off the app, we will build a sustainable business with uh, inner bridges and affiliate links. Okay, cool. Any other business models around? Do we have anyone who's ad-based, maybe? Or uh, app purchases or e-commerce? No? Okay. <laughs> well, why don't I go through the content um, and... I'd love the format to be really interactive. Um, please butt in with any questions or if you disagree with what I'm saying. Uh, I want to try and keep it quite interactive, so I'll ask you guys a couple of questions. And If you, if there's anything uh, maybe at a class level that you want to gloss over or dive deeper into, just just let me know, okay, uh, depending on, on what kind of interests you. Um, in terms of the, the scope of today, and I guess this is where we as a business have um, specialized and focused in is, is around, we work a lot with content producers, which we call publishers, and they, they create content and they have audiences, and a lot of websites and apps around the web have these, these elements in there. So we're, we're going to focus on that ecosystem there, um, revolving around some type of content, it doesn't have to just to be a blog post, for example, it could be anything, it could be an Airbnb listing, for example, um, and also, obviously, you have, have an audience as well. What I'm not going to focus on is is pure kind of paper install or or paywalls or subscription models, purely in the fact that they're relatively straightforward. Uh, It's easier to monetize an app or a website when you're charging people. It's much harder to monetize when it's free to use, um, of which a lot of um, websites and apps are there today. So in terms of the key takeaways for today, uh, the first one is really to um, learn a kind of, uh, I guess, an overall framework or, or understanding of, of how, you know, monetization can actually happen with, with your, your own app, your own website, your own startup. Uh, secondly, to identify your actual role um, in that ecosystem, so working out how best you can you know, essentially bake monetization into your business. And thirdly is to understand a concept called native monetization, which has been getting a lot of press and a lot of hoo-ha recently, uh, and, and delve a little bit into that and understand whether that could work for you. And fourth, think about how you can also extend your monetization through maybe it's APIs, for example, or actually utilizing your customer data and selling it in a different way, maybe in an indirect manner. So hopefully at the end, uh, I'll I'll put those up again and and hopefully you you feel like you've got some good takeaways for that, but they're the key messages I really uh, would like you to follow. So the first one, and this is really pretty much what the the topic of the talk is, is is, your audience plus your content approximately equals monetization. Uh, It's kind of like one of those fire triangles. You can't have uh, monetization without strong content and you can't have monetization without an audience, of course. And audience and content comes in many many business models and, and, and many different flavors. Uh, you have a subscription, which might be a, a fixed monthly subscription, uh, or you might be, have a freemium model. Uh, take Dropbox, for example, it's free to use to, to begin with. You get a number of gigabytes. If you want to go up, you have to pay a monthly fee. Then we have pay to access, which is, is definitely got a lot more popular over recent years, where you actually Pay to actually install that app, or that download in the first place, and pretty much once you've got someone over the line, that's great, you've, you know, they've paid for that app and, and they're in. And then thirdly is uh, the whole world of purchasing and, and payments. So this, this encapsulates many things, it could be paper per use To take an example here, So um, brokerage, brokerage is essentially, uh, take eBay for example, they're brokering between two or three different parties, maybe the person who wants to buy something and the person who wants to sell something, and they take a fee as a result of connecting those people. Same with Airbnb, if you're a traveler, you're looking for a flat to stay in, and you're a renter, they connect together, and the brokerage helps you out, and they take a cut. Physical and virtual products, don't need to explain too much there. Uh, That's the whole e-commerce, and of course, in-app purchases as well, so as you mentioned, uh, that's, that's a great revenue model there. And then beyond, uh, I guess what would be the first-party model, i.e., you are um, collecting that that money based on your own service. There's the world of third-party-supported business models. Advertising is, is the most prevalent there, uh, and this is an, this is an, it's not an exhaustive list. Uh, referral is another one, and actually, it's actually quite an old blog post. Uh, it's back from 2009, but. Um, I'm happy to send these slides to anyone afterwards, there's a URL on there. It, it's, a, it's, it's a nice overview of, of the various business models around on the web. And the way that I've separated them out today at least is, is the pay for access space is a lot more straightforward with monetization. It's pay your subscription or pay your premium, and, uh, and suddenly you're, you're collecting a, a monthly um, recurring revenue. Uh, which which is a great business model, of course, Um, and and you can get good valuations if your business is working on that. Uh, And then secondly, this this collective here is is working really towards uh, the conversion. And I'll go into that right now. This is actually, uh, so I actually did a, um, Mike Butcher's in the other room, I did a talk at Mike Butcher's Keep It Roller event back in 2009. So this is a, a they, they call them wordles, you remember these kind of tag clouds, the more popular a word is, the bigger it is. This is actually slightly older data, but it hasn't actually changed that much. Advertising is still extremely popular in terms of the monetization model around the web. We have freemium's quite big, virtual products affiliates, etc. But that third party really still kind of dominates the ecosystem. And the way I wanted to describe it to you is essentially a conversion-based ecosystem. So the majority of the monetization um, models on the web are, are based on this concept of a, con- or a conversion or they're linked to a conversion. So what do we mean by conversion? Well, it's some sort of intended action. So marketers use it an awful lot and they want to understand if they are spending money on something and they want to get a return on investment, they want to get a certain action to occur. On the flip side, if you're making money from that, you can actually make money based on that action occurring, right? So if someone purchases or someone registers, you generate a lead or as an install, it doesn't actually have to be a physical purchase. But if that conversion happens, that is a monetization event. And as a publisher or, or, or a, a monetize, a, someone who's receiving monetization, uh, those monetization events are important for you. The actual conversion does not, of course, need to happen online. You take any car manufacturer; they do an awful lot of brand advertising online. They do banner ads everywhere. They do responsive content, etc. But the actual conversion, you're still going to a dealership and actually buying your car offline. So there is there is this concept of of, of online to offline. Uh, but if you think about it from end to end, ultimately, even if someone's just doing uh, spending to get, get in your general consciousness or awareness they're still trying to get to some particular conversion at the end of the line. So, this, so we've kind of identified uh, there in terms of uh, you know, your content and your audience uh, are really important for monetization. So to move on from that is, is really identifying your role within conversion, so I just described conversions earlier. Um, so there's two, there's two points there. So first of all, what's the nature of your content? And secondly, what does your audience actually do? So if you take exa- examples here uh, and, and think about it, you know, what conversions does my website or app actually play a role in? Do, do, does, your, does your website help people buy a car offline? Does it help them buy a pair of shoes online? Does it help them sign up for a credit card? Does it help them uh, book a hotel room? Does it help connect a traveller with a renter, for example? Does anyone want to volunteer what they what their app or website does in terms of playing a role within a conversion? Sure. <laughs> it curates toys basically for parents. Curates toys. Toys and games, activities for which kids love. Okay. And it's you know, finding the right thing um, according to the educational Area where they are looking for. Okay, great, so and you're saying there's toys that they may actually go and purchase offline as a result. Okay, good example. Any others? Yes? Uh, bring people to buy seats in a bigger organized the individual. Okay, yep, great example again. So you're connecting people together. It's a community. A community, and you're essentially, I mean, how, how, and how does it work in terms of the money? Are you taking a, a fee? have the booking, so I'll take a commission. Okay, you take a commission. But actually I'm actually thinking to minimize the component and try to do more of strategic partnership, like to see if I can convert people to use other services like related to the kind of community or curating if you want. Okay, great. So your main event is, is getting the booking, the booking, and that's the initial conversion, and yes. then you you're looking to possibly upsell... Other Honestly, particular services yes. as a result of that first event that's been created. Yes. Okay, great, thank you. Good example. Any other examples? Anyone wants to volunteer? Okay, we'll run with those then. So, purchase intent is, is uh, something that we talk a lot about actually at Skimlinks, and that's uh, is described here really in terms of uh, the, the moving uh, towards a particular conversion if you think the conversion is at the end, that's what, that's what your end result is. If someone is actually, your audience, is moving towards that particular conversion, they may have purchase intent. If someone's reading an article about Kanye West uh, who's wearing a pair of trainers, uh, that purchase intent may actually kind of generate and formed there. And then it matures and it grows until they actually say, I want to actually buy that. So... How, you know, how do they move from nice to must buy? Who's familiar with the purchase funnel? Okay, good. I'll just go, well, this is, this is uh, our, our adaptation of it anyway. There's many different ways that it's actually described, but the way that we simplify it into is there's three stages. Awareness, and of course you start from the top. You become aware of something that you may or may not know that you're actually going to buy yet once you become aware of it, then you might move into consideration. So the purchase intent is growing. You've actually said, okay, I'm aware of this particular product or service or, or event. Uh, I might be interested in, in, in thinking about this and then possibly even converting on that. That consideration process could take any length of time. It could be five seconds. It could be six months. And then there's an actual purchase at the very end of the funnel, so at the very bottom. If someone actually goes ahead and converts, it doesn't always have to be a purchase of course, it could just be a sign up, but that's the end and that's a conversion. And that's to describe purchase intent. There's another way to describe it, and this is is how um, sometimes how we describe it in online marketing, which is uh, there's, there's often multiple roles involved. So you may have the introducer, the person who actually sparks that initial Intent or, or, or kicks on an initial conversion. They they introduce someone into the funnel. And secondly, you may have... It may not be the introducer. It may uh, maybe someone else who's actually influencing. Someone then is actually influencing and helping people in that consideration period before they actually want to go and buy. And of course, sounds like a cheesy salesman the closer. Uh, at the end of the funnel is when someone actually goes for that conversion, uh, if you remember that corresponds to, to purchase. purchase, so they may be a particular, and this can be very valuable of course, if you're just the closer at the end of the day, and you're collecting all the sales, and you're not actually doing anything, someone else is doing these two phases for you, it's a good place to be in because you're sitting there converting. And, and various uh, values can be attributed to, to where people are within the funnel. So we're going to dr- keep drilling into this um, to, to kind of get you familiar with those, those two concepts there. So first of all, I have to think about um, whether your, your website or your app actually covers uh, within that funnel. Is it something that generates awareness? Is it something that's actually um, just converting and getting people to purchase? Or is it something that spans the whole funnel itself and you're actually nurturing Uh, someone who's going to convert your audience within your site or your app from top to bottom. And why that's important is because uh, you're looking at the roles and looking at the phases and and, and ultimately looking at the monetization that's associated with those different areas there. In terms of actually owning the funnel, uh, I'll I'll give you an example here because it's, it's pretty hard to own the entire funnel yourself. Uh, to use Airbnb as uh, I guess as another example, they're they're pretty good at owning the funnel, especially because they're, they're disrupting the market. They're pretty innovative there. People understand they've got the awareness about I can go and you know use peer-to-peer um, renting, and they go on the website and they have a, you know, they, they become aware of it and they have their consideration. They go through and they purchase, and they do that all within the same app. Probably because this site has has got a lot of presence now, doesn't really have that many competitors. It's very innovative with what it's doing. But if you take something like e-commerce, which has been around for 15 years now, it's pretty difficult to own the funnel. If you take one of the largest brands in the world, like Nike, and they have their Fuel Band, which came out earlier this year, you may actually have, and this is maybe a particular, you know, a particular journey to conversion, you may have many players involved in this particular conversion. Gizmodo, the gadget blog, might be the introducer. They're the ones where you read that blog every day, and you're like, okay, it looks pretty cool. It's got some white LEDs on the, on the band, and it helps track my calories and plugs into my computer. Okay, so that's cool. I've kind of got my awareness about this now, and I've been introduced. But then what happens, and this is something that Nike is very, of course, interested to know, and also willing to pay people uh, for, for various roles within this, is they may show banner ads around the web. They may put a YouTube video up, um, the fuel band one. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's, it's pretty funny actually. They may have some websites reviewing it. So PocketLit actually went into detail and reviewed the Nike fuel band and, and did a big article about it. And now he's actually ranking on Google, which is obviously very useful for him in getting traffic. And then they're even using social media marketing here and paying Wayne Rooney to tweet about it. And there's a whole bunch of influence going on there. And, and, and me as this consumer thinking, wow, okay. Well, uh, I've seen the ad. I've seen the video. And now Wayne Rooney's wearing one. I've got to get one straight away. Uh, but maybe you even go back to Google and you say, okay, well, Nike Fuel band, And you click on that first result, which is actually the ad. So You can see getting me from that initial awareness to the actual conversion has been quite a involved process, many parties, and there's various, Nike is the one obviously collecting the money at the end, for me buying the fuel ban, but they've also paid Google some money, if Pocket Link maybe had an affiliate link, they might have paid him a little bit of money, they may have paid YouTube for promoted um, videos there, and they probably paid Wayne Rooney an awful lot of money to, to, to tweet that, because you can see he had two, four, 2,400, he can't say it, very pixelated, but he had. Uh, over 2,400 I think, um, retweets. Yes, question? I, I just want to add some things on, on this chart because I think the funnel looking at it as a linear and just three steps is, is something a bit strange in digital. It's, it's, it should be a loop, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> because it's the people who bought the products that are so important and they go back and help people in the funnel. And especially for Nike, a few of them in, in your example, um, the sale of the fuel band is not important for Nike. Mm, it's, mm. it's the platform that you create and the fact that people who use it are much more and the relationship you built with them. So how, do, how is that linked to, to your model? Because this looks like a very um, e-commerce driven model. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, you're very right. There are many common ways we see the funnel is actually the customer advocacy at the end there. So there's a yeah, support at the, the advocacy. In. And it's a continuous cycle, of course, as well. So yeah, so I've done, I've done it in a, in a very uh, e-commerce focused manner here, uh, and, and I mean, you're, you're right. There's The funnel is, is very non-linear today, especially with the yeah, advent kind of social. Uh, and I mean, we actually, one of the talks I gave recently was in terms of hacking the funnel. So how can you actually hack it? How, how can you shortcut the funnel? How can you stretch the top open? And, and how you can really skew it? Of course, this is a, yeah. It's not, this is probably in a textbook example here of something flowing through that. And um, one of the problems that, that the industry has not even begun to solve yet is actually tracking that journey as well. And understanding all the touch points and rewarding all the right people along the way. As you say, if you've got the, all the advocates as well, the evangelists of the product, the community that are involved as well, there's even more touch points involved and it's very nonlinear. Good point, thank you. So I just wanted to go through a couple of examples here uh, in, 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 terms of, uh, in terms of looking at the, the, the roles in the funnel and the, and the phases that are covered in the funnel uh, and, and just illustrating... We're going to link that to monetization shortly. So if you're all familiar with StumbleUpon, uh, if you think about the, um, the content in the audience, of course, it's, it's pretty broad, right? You can pretty much stumble onto any site in the web and the, and the audience is... Uh, not not really that specific, but I guess you could say they're a more curious um, audience. Where in the funnel do they reside? Very much in terms of the awareness and, and discovery, so they're helping you to discover uh, new concepts, new, uh, new things that you may involve in, in indeed convert into, uh, and they they pretty much sit towards the end, the, the top of the funnel, and we'll see how the monetization correlates to that. And again, the the, co- the, the corresponding role really is the introducer uh, so can anyone help me with Pinterest how would you describe their, their content you can sh- shout it out it is very similar I mean, the audience is very similar they may have a bit more of a skew towards a particular demographic um, <laughs> <laughs> mainly women of course um, but <laughs> It's less in the UK It's true, yeah. Yeah, a lot of guys in the UK use Pinterest. I guess we're a lot more uh, (laughs) advanced in the lifestyle department maybe. Uh, So yeah, so of course very broad. You can pin anything pretty much. It's image. It's it's pinning images around and arranging them on a board. Uh, Where where do you think they uh, reside within the funnel? Yeah, absolutely. And probably also uh, awareness and discovery, too, because the whole concept of social discovery is something that's been popularized by by Pinterest. People are not necessarily discovering from Google or from other websites anymore, but they're discovering, they're, they're stumbling on, and, and discovering stuff on, on Pinterest. But also, yeah, they're, they're, they're very strong in the influence department, so that consideration part of the funnel. People are, uh, because of an amazing creative pinboard you made, uh, it may help you along the lines. I think you, you may want to go and invert and do something online. Okay, we'll go through these relatively quickly. So Vogue.com, kind of audience, content are they? Yep. Yep. So they're fashion, lifestyle, ma- mainly affluent women again, uh, and where in the funnel they're. as you say they're influencing and they're introducing as well so they're very much uh, they can spark a new trend that's going on in fashion but they can also make you buy that pair of uh, Christian boutons as well i would like to differ about the awareness and sparking new trends they're way behind the curve they're lagging indicator where the fashion industry is going not to say that they're off trend yeah but um, by the time it hits newsstands and it's out, it's being consumed by just sort of everyday average girls like me. It's yeah. well out of the hands of yeah. So anyway, yeah, absolutely, to, yeah, not you're not to right. Not be you apart, but just <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's very, that's very true. So, so where would you say all of the introducing is happening these days in terms of? Well I think there are some bloggers who are way ahead of the curve and it seems to be more in the kind of individual voice and then also voices within the fashion industry where like Alexander McQueen for example or Vivian Westwood who are kind of like out in front and they don't care if anyone's following but then everyone does anyway. Yeah. Lookbook. Lookbook, yeah. Okay, so yeah, fashion bloggers, lookbook, uh, list up all of those new fashion aggregators and startups. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right, maybe so not, not so much discovery, but they still have, uh, I guess, some some influence as well on, on what people buy because they still have that uh, that readership. Okay, Twitter, well that's pretty pretty um, generic, of course, you know, it's all audience, all content. Uh, we're in the funnel. I guess we'd still say that uh, Twitter and maybe thinking about their, their model release and you know, most tweets is really helping uh, awareness and discovery about particular brands uh, or maybe helping me to, of course, there's a lot of opinion on Twitter as well, and I like this, I don't like this, I want that. It's really helping with the consideration of of that towards a particular conversion event. Kelku, uh, if you're familiar with Kelku, uh, it's a shopping comparison engine. So that's very focused, and they have a particular audience as well. And, and why that's important is because they're very much towards the bottom of the consideration funnel. So you probably decided what you're actually going to buy now. But you're going to a price comparison website to then say who's selling at the cheapest. So if you think of the funnel, they're right at the bottom there. And, and they're really influencing because you may have said, OK, well, OK, here's the product, but there's 10 retailers that I'm going to buy it from. And I might go to Amazon. Or I might go to John Lewis. And John Lewis, uh, just to say that it doesn't have to be just uh, uh, websites and apps that are are producing the content, but of course, John Lewis is the the, uh, site that that sits at the bottom of the funnel and helps that conversion or that purchase. And they are very much the closer. So now that we've kind of got familiar with uh, the, the three stages of the funnel, and, and maybe a couple of examples there on how websites and apps uh, are sit- residing within the funnel and what role they play within the funnel as well. This is where we can see where the monetization <coughs> methods correlate. At the top of the funnel, it's very much awareness. And these, these, are, these I guess, are, are what's existed to date. Not necessarily the, the models of the future, but brand advertising awareness, banner ads, that kind of thing, sponsored content, can be very much in the awareness. That's, that's getting something into my consciousness. Within the consideration, there's, there's many m- models along here, but you can, uh, as, a, as, a, as a website owner, you can be earning money from affiliate, for example, or you can be earning money, take Google AdSense, it's a very common example, you're earning money on a, on a per-click basis there because you're getting people who are actually possibly considering something in terms of their conversion. And then towards the, the bottom of the funnel it's where we're getting towards the purchase is where you have models, of course, with e-commerce and, and the brokerage models and also, again, affiliate models. You may not actually be selling that product, but you, you've, you've, sold, you've generated that actual purchase. So have a think where, where you sit within this funnel, the conversion funnel, and then think about what monetization models it could actually correlate to. They, they were the, the, the six examples there, uh, so just to reveal the kind of monetization methods that they, they all use. Um, so, StumbleUpon, um, we're using brand and, and banners for a while, uh, and, and it, does, it wasn't particularly working. Pinterest was using affiliate for a while, and in fact, they were using skibblings for, for two years, uh, and that was working for them, uh, but they, in fact, took it off. Um, because of the, uh, maybe because they, they raised a lot of money, but also there was a bit of a user backlash. Uh, the fact that they hadn't actually disclosed that they were making affiliate revenues off the back of users' pins. Maybe they're going to sponsored pins. There's a lot of speculation about what they're actually going to. Vogue.com will probably s- stick in the brand advertising space. That's kind of what they know. They're very much old media as well. Twitter, we see uh, a lot of brand spend going on, on sponsored tweets there. Kelku is very much an affiliate, and John Lewis, of course, is an e-commerce model. So what monetization methods um, do you guys use? Anyone who hasn't spoken yet wants to volunteer? how they make money? I suppose transaction fee, that comes in rather like membership. Is that is that something that you're using at the moment, it's or something I'm thinking of using rather than the okay? And so that would be so every transaction that happens, you're taking a little cut yeah. as a result, kind of a revenue share. Okay, right. And in terms of your, um, in terms of where you're kind of residing within the funnel, are you? Are you um, I mean, I don't know if you want to describe your model or you carpet. but Well, yeah. it's it's a swapping side of it. Um, so Good, Luxury, it's and, uh, yeah. okay. so more premium lens. Swapping site for my premium lens. said that you wouldn't get people coming onto it yeah. initially unless it was a free access. Yes, okay. So the idea then was that you will So you'll think of monetization later once you've built up all of the, the audience yeah, to that side. Yeah, then probably also the branding but that would be difficult. So. Okay, great. So yeah, yeah. I guess you're, you're actually residing pretty much across the whole of the funnel. so you're um, I mean, you may of course uh, use some marketing to generate awareness and get people understanding about your site. But once they're in, they're considering about particular luxury items that they want to swap, and then they go through and they actually that conversion or a swap occurs and that's the conversion as you say you take a, take a fee as a result of that. Okay, great. Thank you. Any others? Okay. In terms of monetization, of course, it doesn't have to be just the one method. It's often a, a blended mix, and a lot of the, the apps, a lot of the websites that, that we at work with have a number of different revenue models. A, and of course, the, the device is, is very important as well. Advertising and, and display media may work nicely on a a website here, but we're seeing that mobile browsers and and users really aren't um, happy with the fact that maybe half their screen is taken up by a banner ad. So publishers and and app creators are looking at different ways of monetization uh, to to match that device. And to take this example on the left here, they may be uh, using a bit of brand monetization within their within their banner space, they may be using uh, also a mixture of uh, affiliate links in there as well. So if someone's in this particular, well, it's a fashion magazine, they're talking about a icon camera, but uh, there's, there's consideration in there. The purchase intent is growing as a result of reading this content, so they're actually using links within their content to help them uh, to, to monetize it as a result. So using a mix is something that we see very commonly these days. And, and maybe uh, if you your your main revenue model may even be something like a subscription model, you may end up supplementing that with, with advertising, with brand spend or with affiliate. And also we're seeing uh, quite a bit of innovation um, in terms of the roles within the funnel. And what I mean by that is we're seeing a shift in the, in the roles that are actually... Um, that are, that are played in the purchase funnel. There's there's two images here. The one on the left is actually fab.com. If you're familiar, it's a essentially it's a, a daily deal site for for design for any kind of lifestyle products and that are very design related. But rather than actually um, just giving you the uh, sending that sale off to the to the retailer, they actually this is Fab's warehouse. So they're actually Taking the products from the seller, putting them into their own warehouse, and then giving customers in, in the U.S. at least, anyway, a, a one to two day shipping nationwide. So they're handling all the logistics as well of the sale, but they don't actually—they're not actually the manufacturer or the uh, the seller of that product. So that's one example there. The second example here is, is Mr. Porter. They're getting a lot more into the content space as well. So they're using. Um, Print newspapers and, and also a lot of email marketing and, and a virtual magazine content. So they're also blurring the line between the fact that they are kind of an e commerce retailer, but they're uh, moving much more into the content space as well. So they're the ones that are helping to, they're pushing up the funnel and maybe helping, so if we look at the funnel again, um, they're pushing up more into awareness and getting into people's. If, if, if you're just reading this here and you're, you're a fan of the Suits show uh, on TV, it's getting that awareness about, well, actually, the guys from Suits are wearing some pretty sharp suits, and we guess the maybe is a place to, to buy that. So it's, they're really pushing up the top of the funnel there. The Fancy you may be familiar with is a, is a site in the U.S., kind of similar to Fab. It's very, very design-led, but what they do, slightly different, is they, they describe themselves as a part store, part blog, part magazine, and part wish list they're combining a lot of that functionality together, but they also have this universal card. So if you want to buy things across five different retailers, you can stick it all into your shopping cart, pay once on your credit card, and then five orders will go out to all those different retailers. So that's essentially a drop sh- shipping model. So what we're seeing is a lot of new roles appearing um, within the funnel, and also particular players are also dominating that funnel. If you take Fab, Sign up, they're giving you their, their daily deal emails, they've got their website, they've got the social element in there, there's a whole discovery, they're virtually running Pinterest on their site as well. So they're getting you all the way from generating awareness about particular products you may or may not want uh, and, and helping you to share these, to, to interact with your friends uh, about those particular products. They're then pushing down beyond the, the purchase, they're not just an affiliate. And they're pushing all the way down to actually fulfillment for those particular sellers themselves. The fancy aren't going as far as they described, right? but they're just going into the, the drop shipping route as well. So I, I know it's, it's, it's more in the, again in the e-commerce space, but uh, if, if you think about, it, again, your kind of conversion funnel, and it, of course if there's a virtual product, you don't even need to think about it. You can be on purchase, apart from delivering a virtual product. But it's, uh, it's interesting when you think about it within this particular framework of what what's going on with all of the, the recent upstarts and, and using a lot of functionality, uh, especially around this kind of awareness consideration phase, uh, you think maybe all the interior design stores are a bit concerned that people are spending all their disposable income on, on fab.com. So the third point I wanted to, to um, cover, I think we're going okay I'll speed it up a little bit um, is native monetization and I'm going to to use a a VC's um, description of this Uh, this is Andy Weissman from Union Square Ventures in New York and what he says is that emerging revenue streams will be native monetization models they are consistent with the fabric of the product, and they run with a grain of how users interact with and use the service essentially what he's saying is that uh, the the monetization is part of the app. So the, the biggest uh, example of this of all time is Google Ads, of course. But Google have managed to blend in advertising almost from day one. That feels like part of the search experience. Doesn't interrupt you. Doesn't get in the way. Um, but of course, a lot of people click on it at the same time. So kind of the content is the ad, the ad is the content type type. thinking there. I did not design this infographic. I wish I had, it's quite nice. But uh, there was, this is, I think it was actually from an article on TechCrunch actually, about native advertising. There's a lot of, as I said at the beginning, there's a lot of interest in in native advertising. Uh, And the fact that, as I said at the very beginning, advertising is still a very prevalent model in the way that apps and websites monetize. But a lot of them are not using the standard show me a banner ad anymore. Stumble upon, as I mentioned earlier, are now using promoted websites. So you can, as, a, as an advertiser, you can promote your website that falls within the Stumble pattern. There's another example here. So Outbrain is the one, is, is a service, if you're a blogger, it allows you to have a little related articles at the bottom of the link, and they're allowing advertisers to put in sponsored content within that, You can see that throughout all the different forms of media here, you can promote your videos, you can promote your stories and your posts, your music, images, websites and listings. So there's a, there's a big rise in, in native advertising. Mm-hmm. And why is it a good idea? Of course, banner blindness is a, is a real issue. Again, related to advertising, click through rates uh, are under 0.09%. Now the whole point of brand advertising is not to get the click, it's not just about the click, so it's a misnomer just to purely focus on that, but the the fact is that people, I don't know if any of you in the room really notice banners anymore when you're browsing the web. And of course, ads clutter the UI. And what's great in in relation to that previous example is that uh, native monetization is generally built to work within the mobile app as well. We take Twitter and their promoted tweets, that works on the web, it works on TweetDeck and all the the apps there, and it also works on their their mobile app as well. So Pinterest have made the decision not to use banner ads. Of course, when you get banner ads, of course, it's a beautiful user interface here. It's stealing a lot of screen real estate here, uh, often untargeted. So instead, they chose, well, at the time anyway, they were using affiliate links, in, invisible affiliate links, but no longer at the moment. There are also reasons why native isn't great, though. It's not your silver bullet for your monetization. It's essentially because it's difficult to scale. Uh, there's multi-billion-dollar industries around um, the display industry, search, affiliate industries that, that the people with the money, if you're going to monetize, you need to be connecting with people, who are spending that money are very used to and, and these are very entrenched industries and they're not going to go away overnight and marketers just have them as a bandwidth they're not if they have if, if we go back to this uh, this image here if they have just spare I don't know fifty thousand dollars for their their marketing spend that month they're not going to be able to split them across all of these here they might be able to probably get involved in some sponsored tweets and um, they may do something around something some stumble upon but it's, as you go into each new service you're kind of slicing it thinner and of course there's a lot of overhead to run that uh, so there is a there is a uh, although banner ads uh, don't perform so well these days they are pretty much universal it's, it's a 468 by uh, 60 banner uh, that can be a static image or, or a flash ad and that's been around for, for many years now the brand spend is still Shifting from TV to to banners, uh, so so let alone thinking about native advertising, there's still an awful lot of money pouring into the old uh, advertising models of the web. So educating the market can be can be very expensive if you've got something that's brand new, and and it's native. In terms of making native work, I guess uh, back into how we um, we started this this um, conversation is really. Um, if you want to build any forms of native monetization into your app, uh, you really need to understand your audience, uh, and you really need to understand your content. And, and again, it's in relation to those to the role that they actually play within conversion. So, if you are having any form of third-party supported model, it could be advertising, it could be sponsoring, etc. You have to understand what are you what are you actually getting your audience to do that they weren't doing before, and are they in? Are they in a buying mood? Or are they not in a buying mood? And what, what content are they actually creating? And, and how can you create conversions as a result of that? And that should help you maybe shape the way that your native monetization would work. And, and, oh, and one other thing we find is that uh, advertisers generally don't, they're generally resistant to change. They don't want to try too many new things, but they want to have the old the similar metrics. So they want to understand uh, you know what the, the click-through rate is, or you know, how many impressions I can get, or uh, some of them are again more used to the kind of cost per engagement um, element. But how how can you show them similar metrics to understand that their advertising spend is actually working within within your your native monetization model? And the fourth point, uh, and the final point I wanted to to cover quickly, and then we can see if there's any questions, uh, is is really kind of extending the monetization through. <coughs> Um, other methods such as APIs or or actually (coughs) selling your data. So with APIs uh, there's and this is something, uh, there's a couple of API companies out there one's called Mashery, one's called Freescale um, and one of them described it in this way and it's quite a good description is that an API can perform many different things. If you're gonna offer an API to to your users, your audience, to developers in the ecosystem. The API may be the products, which is what Twilio does. So you actually, if you want to send an SMS, for example, from your app, you'll hook into them directly from their API. That's pretty much where all their usage is done, and they charge you for that. Or the API projects the product further, like Salesforce. They've opened up an API that can hook into all the internal fields within Salesforce, and they have thousands and thousands of apps running off the back of Salesforce now. So that projects the reach of the product even further. The API can literally promote the product, so if the content of your, your platform or your app or your, your site is, uh, is very useful or very strong, uh, you can actually run your API, and, and, and there's a, I'll show you an example in a sec, uh, of Netflix. And then I guess the Twitter example is really where the API is actually feeding the product. Most of the Twitter clients are using the API. Uh, in fact, I've got the, the stats here. Is that um, 75% of Twitter's traffic actually comes via their API? eBay, 60% of their listings come via their API. So remember, eBay the, at the beginning I described as a uh, they're a brokerage model. They're connecting the sellers um, and the buyers. And if they just had eBay.com, they would have far less traffic than they far less in monetization capacity than they do now because there's Many sub stores running off the back of that, many apps running off the back of the eBay API. So, a lot more content's being created from outside of their own destination website. So, again, it kind of relates back to that content and audience. And there's, that's an example at instantwatcher.com. It's just uh, Netflix have had many billions of hits on their, on their API, and they've opened that all their movie information, actor information, ratings, etc. And that's just one example of a destination site that's popped up but it's reusing um, Netflix's content to allow people to um, find streaming titles as a result, and of course, increasing the usage of their own product, and increasing their own conversions. So that's APIs. Any questions about that side of things? No, okay. No, sorry, just one question. Like, mm-hmm. when it, this is uh, in the context of monetization, right? Yeah. But Twitter API yeah, for instance is given for free. Yes, so you could you could charge to use the API, which is like this model here. Okay. These guys all offer their API for free, yeah. but in fact, what's happening is they're getting more business because more people are deciding to use Salesforce because there's a free app, but you have to have a Salesforce license to use it. Netflix, um, it's, again, it's, it's just getting people to sign up for a subscription for Netflix, and Twitter. It's really just about getting um, more content in there. So then they can push out more promoted tweets. So if you're using the Twitter iPhone app or the Android app, you're, you're hitting it via the API. You're not going to their website. But that allows you to, obviously, a lot more content comes in, making Twitter more valuable. And also, they're getting promoted tweets coming in. Well. monetization, you more adoption, so it, Exactly, exactly. Uh, In Skimlinks ourselves, our API is is used for for a lot of our publishers, probably about 40%. And people are making money directly off that, so that's how we make money. So we're directly monetizing our API, whereas you'll find that most players are actually indirectly monetizing their API. What in fact they're doing is they're monetizing their content further because the API is creating more content or getting more, or, or it's getting more people to use their content as a result. And data, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult to, to go into data because it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a often a very indirect business model and it can be a very long-term business model if you're thinking about how your startup or your app or your website is going to monetize in the long term. Um, you can essentially uh, offer your content for free and, and your site for free and in fact be selling the data on the back end off to advertisers or uh, and, and monetizing that. But it's actually a pretty common uh, model these days. Uh, I've got a good example here actually, uh, which is addthis.com. If you're familiar with Add this or sharethis, it's the it embeds a, um, a Twitter share, Facebook, etc., all the social shares within your, with any post you can make, maybe a blog post. They have, and it's a free install, so they have millions and millions of websites, I think tens of millions of websites, who installed their free product, which literally allows you to click a button so you can easily share via Twitter. So websites want to use that because they want people to share the content. Well, in fact, they have 230 million. Shares. So people who are sharing a link or Facebooking a link, and everyone's thinking they're getting a free, but in fact, they are collecting a ton of data on those end users. Uh, with with you know, They're tracking those users, and then they're monetizing that and selling uh, the, these uh, audience segments onto advertisers. So just say you went onto a wedding website and you shared a, a, a link to a, a wedding dress, that's a pretty strong indicator that you may either be getting married or thinking about getting married. So advertisers really want to get in front of that data. So essentially if, if your service is, is doing collecting a lot of data points about the usage um, of your content or the, the behaviors that's happening within your, your platform then that can be very valuable. But again, it's kind of, you know, it's offering out to advertisers because Advertising seems to make a round. <laughs> um, so I think uh, the timings, we have a couple of minutes in case there are any questions. Just to kind of refresh and, and hopefully some of the takeaways that you're, you, you've got today. First one was about, uh, I, I guess, a framework by which we can kind of describe how monetization happens. So looking at the conversions, looking at the funnel, looking at the various stages, looking at the roles played within that. Secondly, um, the, the role, as I mentioned, working out what your role is as, 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 your, as the creator and, and how you can actually bank the monetization in as a result. Native monetization is something that's worth uh, keeping an eye on and, and looking at whether it would actually work for you. I would not say it works for everyone. You need massive scale for native monetization to work, but there's no doubt that Facebook sponsored stories and Twitter promoted tweets are, uh, are pretty good in the fact that they don't make you want to leave the service immediately. And then finally, have a think about how, how you can kind of extend your monetization capabilities through, through an API to, to extend your reach or, or actually using a long-term business model like, like uh, monetizing your data on the back end. So what do you think? <laughs> Any questions? Actually, I have one question about the native monetization. Yeah. Um, do you understand? Let's say in-app purchases within Apple uh, app as native as well, or is it like something different you Um So, what would be an example of an in-app purchase? Just have a magazine with different, you know, um, monthly. Yeah, data stories which you can just purchase. Yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, I mean, I guess it depends on how strict you are on the, the definition of native. Uh, I would say yes, it is native because it's, it's something that's it's, it's built into the fabric of your application and it's just unlocking a particular area of that application. So it's, it's unlocking more content. So I would say, yeah, absolutely, that's native. Uh, often when they talk about native monetization, if you read one of those, that article, The Golden Age of Marketing, a lot of people are more focused on whether you can kind of put an ad and make that native, uh, and get advertisers to actually inject content into your, into your app. Yeah. But I would say that that is native, yes. And if, for example, then, they edit things, to things, products, have you had any, like, good or bad experience? working on the mobile app while you know implementing affiliate networks because that's something a bit tricky with Apple Yeah. But, uh, you know like Amazon app for example is allowing to buy stuff without getting a three percent charge from Apple. Is there is there any way you can advise not to do to do stuff there? Uh, I can definitely give you a lot more detailed info offline. Okay. Um but yeah just to say I guess quickly is that yeah affiliate does not actually work that well for mobile apps yet, maybe because people aren't necessarily buying so much on, online at the moment uh, there's also the issue between you might do something on your, your mobile app and then you might go and do something on a computer and you can't really track between the two and as you said it's actually quite hard to, to actually get in there and uh, open up and, and be able to drop a cookie for example um, so it's it's difficult but, but then again we're seeing traffic really increasing on that and the advertisers are getting better with their mobile tracking, so it's all it's all improving. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say there are any people making massive amount of money out of affiliate on mobile just yet. But then we can maybe discuss yeah. more often, right? Yeah, sure. Any other questions? Do you do you think that mobile, the Rise of Mobile will threaten the whole affiliate industry then, in that case? Uh, I think the affiliate industry will, will catch up because it's if anything, it's, a, it's an industry that's growing very quickly, because advertisers love it. They say, if I've got a product that's worth 100 pounds, I'm gonna pay you 8% on a sale, but you have to generate that sale. And I won't pay you any less or any more, so it's really nice to have that fixed marketing cost. You can have hundreds or thousands of people promoting that. So um, Referly, for example, uh, which is a, a new site that allows you and users to earn affiliate commissions as a result of recommending stuff on Twitter and social media. So I think if anything, it's gonna get more popular and maybe even more democratized as people are actually commissioning themselves as opposed to a website owner. Um, but there are, as we were just, just discussing, quite a few technical challenges, I think, to get, to get over in terms of the tracking and all, and all of that, uh, and the multi-devices as well. Very big difference between digital products and services and physical products and affiliates. I mean, it's all both growing. Or... Yeah, I think that. I think that they're both growing. Yeah, it's uh, digital products, of course, are, are great in the fact that they're instantaneous. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I could I could probably look and have some look into some conversion data actually, for you if you, if you like on digital versus physical. Any other questions? Yeah? What is the kind of um, low-key smartest trick in the book? Kind of something that was a bit hijacked the system or something that you've seen that you thought, oh, this is good, like the latest thing that you thought, this is a brilliant idea of how to be on a child low small-fair, or do you That's a good question. Does it have to be legal? It <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't be illegal. <heavy. laughs> Um, What's the illegal answer? There's <laughs> 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 generally just fraudulent stuff that we, we see a lot of. Um, there's, there's, a couple, there's, there's a good example of uh, uh, one called Shop Savvy, which is, they're using, and they're actually using the affiliate model, but it's, it's an app by which you can, um, in real life, you're, going, you're in a shop and you're looking at a frying pan in a homeware store, you scan the barcode, and they show you not only the online prices, but also maybe the offline prices of local retailers. So they're giving you instant price comparison. And if you want, you can obviously buy that online, and they're earning the affiliate commission there. So that's, I think, uh, new applications of, of mobile within e-commerce are, are, are very interesting the ones we're seeing. I think they're giving us the wave. So. Um, that's um, my email address. If anyone wants the presentation, uh, or you can tweet me, or if you want to just ask any questions, um, I think I like the fact that it's a small session. You know, you, you know anyone feel free to uh, be happy to have a chat anytime as well. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, but no. I didn't stop by, so, like, so, okay. that is the so what you do, you help startup businesses to find out a way to monetize the Yeah, yeah, so we, we operate mostly in the affiliate space, okay. and we're, we're an automatic technology, so if you're a, a web publisher yeah. or an app, you can install our technology and we'll automatically, if you're linking off to online, yeah. we'll add the tracking. And then we will collect all the revenues. Okay, so you have that technology. So let's say that, for example, what I do, like my cook is selling also a book, like a cooking book, all right? Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't be selling the cooking book. But maybe there is a link. Yeah, yeah, if somebody goes to Amazon and buys because they use my website, then I could ask a revenue share of it. Yeah. Yeah. right, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's good. It's warmly here, we want. We'll let the air flow a little bit. So. Yeah. If we turn on the AC then... So it'll be around for four them? years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four years, yeah. Wow.